All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your number one podcast to try and find the signal in a sea of noise. This is Paul, and as always, I'm here with my gifted, talented, unbelievable Scott. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm, you know what? I couldn't be happier. I'm so excited to be talking about what we're going to be talking about tonight yeah. because I feel like this week I've had more conversations about good science and bad science, good thinking, bad thinking, just, you know, uh, episodes where I'm talking to friends and, you know, I'm hearing the meme a lot. I trust science and I'm actually convinced most people don't even know what that means. Oh, but, but Paul, science is real. Don't you know that? <laughs> science is real. I believe in science. I believe in scientists, you know, all those things. They're all good things. Right. Um, well guys, we're, we're excited to be bringing the conversation today. Uh, where we are going to be talking about good science and bad science and our view on what that means, how we find the good information and the bad information, and uh, some different ways, I think, of, of thinking about how to guard your mind from the garbage information. And also, I think importantly, and we can get into this, guard your, guard your mind from what is considered to be good science that actually may be bad. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of ways of thinking about that. So, Let's let's get into it. Um, so, I guess Scott, we're gonna we're here today to talk about the idea of good science, bad science. We talked offline about it. What are your thoughts on just that topic? If someone mentions that that concept, how does it how does it strike you, and what what do you start to think about? Yeah. So when I hear people bringing up science. Uh, the first thing I wonder is, you know, like you mentioned, do they really understand what they're talking about? Um, do they really understand what science is? And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I live in a probably a pretty typical middle class neighborhood in Denver. And when I walk my dog, you know, I walk past houses that have the signs in their front yards with all their little slogans and on them. And, you know, one of them is always like science is real. And I just, yes. I always kind of have this fantasy of walking up to the front door and knocking on the door and whoever answers, just asking, okay, like, you know, what is science? Please, tell me. please, <laughs> please explain to me what science is to you. And yes. I imagine, you know, you're probably going to get some answer along the lines of, well, so-and-so study gave me the answer I wanted. Therefore it is chiseled in stone that this will never change. And yes. anyone who did who, everyone who disagrees with me is a science denier. Um, and I know that's probably a pretty cynical view to take on on the world, uh, but it, it, from listening to a lot of the commentary, it seems like that's the way we're heading. It's, right. it's when when the team you're on has a bit of science that uh, supports their position, right? It's 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 there, and it's never going to change, no matter what evidence or what facts will come up in the future. That's and, right. And we just need to keep in mind that that's that's not what science is. Right. There's yeah. room for disagreement in science. Science is changing. Um, if it didn't change, right, we'd still be burning people at the stake for witchcraft. We'd still be our models of the universe would still have the earth right in the middle of them. Uh, yep. So, you know, we need to always keep that in mind that oftentimes science is what we know today. Right. But tomorrow we could have more information. We can have better tools for research, for measurements, for whatever. Right. So it's an ever evolving thing. Yep. Now, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I In my, my old neighborhood in Texas, we would drive around and we would see those signs. And, and I felt like what they were really saying is I believe scientists, not that I actually believe in science. They they were looking for the, the new prophet that they could listen to that would give them all the answers that they wanted to hear. 
so that they could absolve themselves of having to critically think. And, you know, there, there's a lot of complexity with if, if you are a trained scientist, you're going to have tools and techniques available to you based on your training, right? So if you've gone to school and you've studied um, chemistry, any of the hard sciences, but even the soft sciences, statistical analysis, learning how to run an experiment, those types of skill sets are what make you more of a scientist, but they're not unique to that domain. In fact, there's many people that sit in other domains that uh, can operate off of the same kind of mindset. So the, the mindset is really what you want. And then you want the hardened mindset when we're talking about what I, what I would consider sort of the hard sciences. When we're looking at research papers and, and studies that have been conducted that are intended to give us insight into our operating models are the, the the physical world around us, whatever whatever the case may be, um, they're they're intended to do that, and we, we need to understand how they're actually being performed. So the, the value in, in understanding the the techniques, uh, but but again, I, I feel like a lot of people they they skip over all that, and it's just a lot more fun to say, listen, he's a scientist, he got a degree from a certain place, he's credentialized. I can't believe you would ever question what he's saying. <laughs> You're going. I'm not. I'm not saying I am. I'm not saying I'm an authority. What I, what I may what I may just just point out that he's referencing a single study that hasn't been replicated. So, so so why don't <laughs> why don't why don't we start with this? In your mind, how do we start to identify sort of the bad science? You know, when we talk about we're going to talk about the good versus the bad. How do you think we help we identify some of the bad science? Okay. Um. The first thing, you know, just to reiterate a little bit of what I said, um, I, when we were talking about doing this book, I read a, a, a good – or excuse me, doing this podcast, I read a good book called What Science Is and How It Really Works by James Zimring. And one of the first things that he brought up was uh, – I believe he referred to it as the legend. And it's kind of the idea that oftentimes not only the lay public but the scientists themselves, they start to – look at themselves as the arbiters of the truth mm. as in when they speak, what they speak is the truth and you do not, you cannot disagree with it. Uh, and, and we're, we're seeing that in some instances today with COVID, I think, um, and climate change, other areas, you know, and again, and I'm not saying that any of the science is good or bad in COVID and, or, and in climate climate change what i am saying though is that you just have to remember that the people that you're hearing it from okay they they're not infallible science is not infallible right science is a process that you follow to try to get to these truths but that doesn't mean that there aren't errors in the process okay and that's one of the major differences um between pseudoscience and bad science is that Pseudoscience is science that doesn't have a lot of evidence to support it or it's not falsifiable, whereas bad science is science that could be good, but an error was made in the methodology. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, uh, you know, a, a lot of the evidence supporting the flat earth, like going back to the uh, conspiracy theory podcast that we did last week, you know, it. it, it Try to falsify. Try to get a flat earther to tell you what evidence you can present to them that would that would falsify their flat earth theory, and they're probably not going to tell you anything, right? There's probably no evidence you could ever give them, so it's non-falsifiable. So that would right. fall more into the realm of pseudoscience. Sure. Um, whereas, uh, like um, on Farnham Street, uh, 
they had an article about good science and bad science. And one of the bad science examples they gave was the power posing. Okay. And that was more science. It was falsifiable, but there was problems with the methodology, right? One of the major ones being that the sample size was far too small. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned the replication issue. So when people tried to replicate the science, they couldn't do it. And uh, so that would fall more into the realm of bad science. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think those are the sort of red flags you should be looking for anytime you hear a theory being presented as sort of established viewpoint, right? That um, if if it's a if it's a theory that is cannot be falsified, there's there's never any evidence that would that would basically put it to rest. Then you've got something that you you can't actually put into the realm of silence. Science, you have to put into the realm of belief. And, and that's, that's actually okay uh, in the sense that if you've got these boxes and say, this is where I'm going to put something into here or there, that actually can be a very valuable way to have conversations with people, to interact with people that maybe have different viewpoints. But that said, if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to apply the scientific method, then you have to have evidence and you have to be able to be, to falsify theory. So if someone wants to come to you and say, well, this is, this is a scientific approach and it doesn't meet that threshold. That's something you could say, listen, no, that's a belief and that's fine, but I, I'm not going to consider it science and I, and I actually don't need to, right? You can have that standard. And, and, and you know, a lot of what we're talking about here, I and mean, we joke a little bit about meeting people on the street and seeing the street signs. Part of it is our interaction with people. Science is, as a concept, is something that humans discovered as an idea that they could identify phenomena or a model. They could they could identify tests to to see if it was if it was true. They could repeat it multiple multiple times until they could they could establish it that this is how the the physical world, the mental world, the uh, the human human world, how it actually works, right? And that's kind of what you're trying to do with science. It's just trying to d- develop a model that actually has a way of describing a phenomena of some kind. And, and it, you know, that, that the theory that you, that you hold for, for how something operates. So, um, again, I, I, I think those are very good red flags to be looking for when we're looking for what we can c- call the pseudoscience. Now, to, to flip that on its head, what, what that is not saying is that just because the authority or the person that's bringing the information to you, it could be, I, I'm going to throw it out there, it could be Alex Jones. Now, Alex Jones, and we talked a little bit about conspiracy here last time, he says some wild and crazy stuff. Most of it is not going to be scientific, right? Just because he says it doesn't mean it's unscientific or pseudoscience, right? That's, that you, have to, you have to separate the messenger from the message and evaluate the message on its merits. So that's the other side of it too because that's a game that's being played in, t- in today's world. Someone can attack the reputation of somebody rather than to attack the idea. So when you're, when you're trying to identify the fake science, don't be conned into attacking the individual that's providing it. Now, you, you, can, you can filter those people out if they're, if they're filled with noise and they never provide any signal. But if they actually provide some signal to you based on what you're trying to understand, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, I, I would also argue, and Scott, you can tell me if you disagree, when you're having conversations with people, it's okay to say, here's a belief, here's, here's, here's science, I don't need to listen, you know, I can, I can separate the two and have conversations with people. So, I, 
do you agree with any of that? Do you disagree? Oh, absolutely. I agree. Um, you know, we, we have to have beliefs. Beliefs are part of our lives. Like, uh, you know, I believe that a meritocracy is um, the most effective way to operate a society. I mean, I can present all kind of facts and evidence, right? But I don't, I wouldn't consider that science, right? It's a belief based off of my observations about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas someone else could have a completely different belief. Um, yep. And, you know, this is areas where we can debate, we can throw evidence at each other, we can throw examples to each other, but right for every example that I come up with, someone who thinks that a, uh, a socialist society would be more beneficial could, you know, probably throw evidence right back at me uh, about why their view of a society is is the best way to, to organize our communities. So. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's always value in having beliefs, right? You, you need some guiding principle because if you just sat around saying, well, I can't do anything until science tells me what to do or what to think, right? You're going to be sitting <laughs> around for a long time. Uh, yes. So you better be cozy. Right. Exactly. You're not going to be doing a whole lot. Uh, so one point that you brought up that was really interesting, right? Is, you know, be sure that when you hear people, um, discussing the science, right, that they're they're engaging in the ideas and they're not using uh, what we've referred to as like ad, ad, hom excuse me, ad hominem arguments or ad hominem yeah. attacks um, to try to uh, discredit an argument, right? So, you know, in the law, there's this concept of prior bad acts. And the idea is that it, there's a tendency if there's a witness on the stand who has bad character, there's a tendency for attorneys to want to attack the person's character to try and say, mm -hmm. you know, this guy on the stand is a liar, right? And here's 20 examples of times that he's lied in the past to try to set up the expectation that he's lying now. But the problem is, is just because he lied 20 times in the past doesn't mean that this 21st time he's lying, right? Mm -hmm. So... You have to be really careful um, to to make sure that, like you said, you're you're taking those arguments on the merits. Okay, so right. yeah, Alex Jones has been wrong ninety nine times out of a hundred. That doesn't mean like the hundredth time or the hundred and first time. You know he's wrong, right? He right. may have something. He may be onto something. Uh, you know, even if he just accidentally got right. Okay, he, <laughs> yeah. he could be right. Yeah. And, 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 and to, to extend that thought, someone can be right without being scientific. So it depends on what kind of engagement you're looking for, right? I like the scientific method because it challenges me to think differently and ask different questions. And ultimately, this what I'm trying to do is, is to figure out is there a better way to understand the model of how it exists, right? Trying to give an appreciation for what it actually exists in my environment, not what I want it to be. because what I want to be, as you said, and you said, I have a belief that a meritocracy, uh, a society based on meritocracy would be a better, really, a better form society. It'd be better organized, et cetera. If I'm not there today, I may want that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's acting today. So science is going to tell me what, how things operate today, uh, what, what the truth is, if you will. Right. So, uh, and just because someone says, and just because someone uh, mentions something that happens to be accurate doesn't mean they, they reached it by a scientific method either. So all, I think all of those are good screeners when you're seeing information provided to you, particularly when it's framed in such a way that someone says, well, it's science. You have to believe it. 
you can ask those questions. You can go through them, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. So okay, so we we've established what we could say are, are, are very simple heuristics for identifying what we could say is is pseudoscience, right? Something that cannot be falsified, something that's lacking evidence. Um, what about good science? Because I I think that that's almost as if you have a bit of a binary that you could argue for between the good and the bad. But then once you get into the good, there's low quality and high quality. It, it would be my argument, right? In terms of the 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 uh, how 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 good of a methodology was applied to the information for for gathering it for testing it, how reliable is it? Um, and then you know you have the repeatability of it. So it's 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 almost like you go from a binary to to um, a graded scale, if you will. Uh, but that's that's yeah. I, I want to get into that with you, Scott. So when you're thinking about finding good science that you can rely upon, what what are some good ways you think about going about that? Well, one that we that most people probably go to first is this idea of um, where is it published? Is it being published in a reputable journal? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of fly-by-night journals out there that will publish pretty much anything. Uh, I, f- I forget what it was called, but the James Lindsay and his buddies, uh, mm-hmm. there's three <laughs> of them. They wrote all the fake um, yep. uh, grievance studies papers, and they were just getting picked up and published in these journals. And I think it even won, one of their papers even run it, won an award from one of the journals or something. To, to be to be fair to the journals, if I recall the story correctly, and I could be wrong, you're going to you're gonna have to fact check me. The, the first attempt that they made uh, was was not successful. They, they, they just wrote really low-grade stuff, and it was rejected. So they, they had to up-tier it a little bit. They had to up-tier oh, it a yeah. little bit. Right. They had to write through yes, a spell was, checker or something. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so the point is, is like, in that case, right, the, the issue comes up is like how much – how much effort did the journal put into confirming the information that was in these papers? I mean, did, did the journal ask to look at the underlying data? Did the journal do their own analyses? Did the, did the journal ask for peer review? You know, that's another big one is the peer review. Um, so that the more that the journal, the more effort that the journal puts into to confirming this, the, the study, right? The, the, the more confidence you can have that it's a good study. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, the peer review process, right. That feeds into this too. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, peer reviewed studies are like the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm not an expert on the peer review process, but my understanding is like, that's, that, that itself is fraught with just a, a lot of problems these days mm-hmm. that just because something is peer reviewed, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting good science. Um, especially yeah. if it's a situation where, you know, you know, maybe uh, a, a reviewer is afraid to question the findings in a study because they don't want to get labeled as X, right? They don't want to get wa- labeled as a white nationalist or they don't want to get labeled as a science denier or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they uh, to, to kind of protect their own reputations, right? Maybe they just go along with the paper. Uh, yeah. You know, or there could be confirmation bias involved. Uh, you know, someone just they they see a paper that they it confirms their views of the world, so they're all over it and ready to uh, uh, to sign off on it. Uh, so it, it, that's it's always been kind of an interesting area to me, mm-hmm. the peer review process, because and I really need to do more of my own research because I'm really curious to see how they select 
the peers who are going to review these papers, how much effort that do the peer reviewers actually put into it? Right. right. So, you know, if you're an academic and you're busy trying to write your own papers and get published, right, how much time do you have to put into reviewing somebody else's paper? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, so, and, and how much how much of the variance exists across disciplines, right? Exactly. Or across topics. Uh, right. to, I, I think something that you pointed uh, to that is not discussed enough are the incentive structures that sit kind of underlying. So, so just to make it very clear, uh, let's say that there is a uh, there's a theory that's that's agreed upon by most scientists uh, that that study climate change. And I, I know I use that broadly because that, that includes a, a, a vast array of different specialties that are studying different aspects of the atmosphere or changes changes on our um, in our soil and it's it, it's very vast. So to say just say climate change to me is, is is not specific enough. But for the sake of this discussion, let's say you have a group of people that are looking at that and they have a theory that has to do with methane gases and carbon and how it's released, and someone someone produces a study that contradicts with very valid and very um, very hard to avoid evidence that would go against their theory of how it's operating today and they're funded by groups that believe that that's the case and you know none of these experiments are operating in a black box in which none of those all of those considerations can be taken off the table there are always incentives. There are always people that have, again, like we said, belief systems that are playing into the types of funding that are going to come into play. And in an ideal environment, your scientists would operate more like computers. They would they would be in system two thinking 100% of the time. System one is off the table. There are There is no intuition. There is no emotion that's driving an analysis of the results. But that's just not the case. And that that, that is unrealistic to to think that that is the case so it i i think when i when i think of peer review and i think of the journal uh, the naming of the journal when i think of the credentials of the person and who they've worked with on the study and perhaps other contributors those are all proxies for trying to evaluate the quality of the output but they are in no way an actual reading on the science um which is effectively what are the results of a study what model does it does it suggest and has it, can it be repeated su- uh, sufficiently such that we can then say, okay, no, this is how things actually work. Exactly. I think, um, well, for, you know, first off, we haven't said it in a few episodes, so I'm going to say it now. Incentives matter. Okay. <laughs> yes. No incentive matters more than money. You know, we've mentioned mm-hmm. it before. Grant money, money for scientific research is at a premium. Uh, yeah. So if you're a, uh, you know, if you're someone who researches nutrition and the effect of, you know, fat on the human body and someone from the sugar industry comes to you with a, you know, bag full of cash and is like, yeah, we want you to do this study comparing the health effects of sugar to the health effects of saturated fat, you know, and if the study goes well, wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, we may come back to you with even more money. Right. So, yep. um, And I don't want to bring in, you know, I don't want to, you know, make any sweeping conclusions about the ethics of scientists or anything. Right. But the thought is there that, uh, you know, if you if you're looking for money for research and, you know, an industry group comes to you with a bag full of money. Right. Are are you going to be able to keep your ethics? Are you going to be able to hang on to your ethics? 
Mm-hmm. Are you going to, you know, maybe take that money and just fudge this one study so that, you know, you can use the money for this other bigger study? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, are you going to justify it that way? Uh, so I almost think, you know, like sometimes how, you know, when politicians are speaking, right, they should be like NASCAR drivers with patches of all the companies that they're taking <laughs> money from. On. I kind of think maybe scientists should be the same thing, you know, when when they publish a paper, right? It should be, you know, this paper funded by... And then just have a list of all the the companies that in lobbying groups and industry groups that gave money. You know what? Maybe maybe what we need is for all politicians they don't get to wear suits or nice nice dresses. Everyone has to wear a toga, and on that toga <laughs> right. it has to be all of their labels. Everyone who's given them money. Right. And now, yeah. now C-SPAN would be very ugly. Not that it's a pretty sight right now, but yeah. it may actually give us a better perspective on our politicians and their incentives. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we can go into business. We'll invent a product. It's like a, one of those scrolling neon signs, like on top of a hat, right? And just all, oh, the, there you go. The, 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 all the sponsors, <laughs> everyone who's donated <laughs> money to this politician will just scroll, scroll across. We call it the yeah. incentive visor. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, no, but you, you, no, you raise a really, really valid point that the, the incentives are critical and it's, it's incumbent on you to be skeptical that people are operating in a, an environment in which ethics are always taking the high road. And this isn't, this isn't about me. And, and I think we can get into more about the idea of authority and expertise. Cause I think that's relevant here, especially as you're talking to two people that at least I don't consider myself a scientist at all. I love the scientific method and studying it, but I, I would never consider myself a scientist. Um, and, and so when you're being critical, someone could easily point out, well, you don't have the, the knowledge here, but we can talk about expertise in a minute, but it it doesn't take an expert in game theory and ethics to understand that there's pressure on, on these people. They're, they're individuals. They, they have lives, they have emotional needs and requirements. If it's to have a family, if it's to be successful in their careers, and, and, and prove that they are a luminary. I mean, I, I don't know enough about Einstein to say, was he an egomaniac or just someone who was just obsessed with trying to find the truth as he saw it. Uh, but there's, there's plenty of stories about scientists that, that have acted in, in what you could say questionable ways. And you ask them how they could justify it. And they have very legitimate arguments. That doesn't mean that you're going to agree with them. So you have to be aware of that, of that context. When, when someone's presenting information to you and uh, and, I, and I do think these proxies are helpful in a high distortion or high noisy environment. You know, I can criticize the, you know, the idea of a journal and the idea of peer review and credentialization for these people. But if you took those off the table, it, it it's difficult to say, are you going to get better science or better output? And I'm not sure I could argue that you could. Uh, so, you know, I'm skeptical of them, but at the same time, I think they may be, you know, some of the best screeners that we have at this point. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one thing, right, we were talking about money, right? But don't downplay the importance of ego either. You know, if you have a scientist that has a pet theory and they've been working for years to prove it, how likely are they going to be to accept evidence that disproves their theory? Or, right. or are they, they going to dis- discount that evidence? How likely are they going to be to just cherry pick the data that proves their theory while ignoring the evidence that doesn't prove their theory? Yeah. So, 
and you know, believe it or not, right? Scientists can be egotistical, right? They want to <laughs> get that big, you know, they want to get that big paper and everything. Yeah. And I think this is where replication can is a huge benefit because somebody who's trying to replicate that study may not be subject to the same ethical quandaries um, and and be as uh, emotionally invested in the outcome of a particular experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as people come along and try to replicate these studies, right, they can really start to find areas where, and, and it doesn't always have to be conscious, right? I mean, we're, we've talked about, right, we're all subject to cognitive biases and fallacies. So, you know, you've got your pet theory and you really believe it's true. You're just naturally going to place a higher value on the evidence that you find that supports that theory while placing a lower value on the evidence that you find that disproves that theory. Mm -hmm. And all that can happen subconsciously. So this is where having somebody try to replicate the study who's not as emotionally invested could come in because they may weigh the evidence a little more evenly, or they may even actually weigh the negative evidence a little higher. And then that would, that could identify some questions that you may need to answer in your attempting to prove your theory, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And, and one of the hopes I have is that the ability of what we currently call artificial intelligence, machine learning, allows us to have a cheap, less expensive way of replicating certain studies so that before you know, imagine the value of being able to replicate a study before it's ever published, right? At a, at a very low cost, at a very high confidence uh, interval. Someone has a theory, they go out there and they, they do the work to um, design the experiment, they get funding to go out and test it. And then in, in parallel or, or after they have the results, they, they have the, the actual definition of the study, they can run it through an artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithm that can that can say whether or not you know, doing this a thousand times or a million times that they would have similar results. The, the, there's a hope in me that that is the, some of the benefit that we get from some of these advanced techniques that can do exactly what you're saying. Um, and it can, it can guard us against um, the cost of having non-replicated studies. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning here, but a lot of people, I'm astounded every time someone mentions to me here's a study, here's a study, here's a study. It, it's as if because someone applied the scientific method once to study a certain phenomena that they, they now have identified some amazing gold, if you will, right? They, they figured out how to, how to lose weight by, by snoring less. And you, uh, you look at them and say, well, has it, has it been replicated? And they don't even realize there's a replication process in many different industries. You know, I, I spent a little bit of time preparing here um, and, and just gathering some examples. Uh, we, we talked before about the sort of the, the posing one, but um, where, where, you know, they had a study where they, they told, they, they tested people to see if they studied in these powerful positions. I assume that means looking like Superman for two minutes that people would then, um, I think the wonder woman pose was the big one where you stand with your legs slightly spread apart and your hands on your hips. Oh, is that the one? Okay. Yeah. I think that was the one with the wonder woman pose. Uh, then, uh, I, I'm glad we corrected that, 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 (laughs) right there. Oh, 
but but they 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 ran the study and then over uh, there were about eleven. I I read there was a meta study that that did about eleven different studies. They could never replicate those those results. And so you know at some point you you have this train of this momentum of people saying, well, everyone needs to stand up in the morning and they need to do their power woman pose. And then they find out that there's all this information. And says, well, no, 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 we've never been able to replicate that. So there is no evidence at all. Well, okay. That, First off, Paul, it's Wonder Woman, not Power Woman. Power. Well, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. Excuse me, Wonder Woman. <laughs> and I understand right. she's not feeling wonderful right now because the movie didn't do so hot. But you know, I don't really blame her. That's COVID. Okay. What are you gonna do? <laughs> right. Blame it on COVID. Uh, yeah, I'm blaming that one on COVID. Right. Um, Science but, is real, yo. <laughs> science is real. Science is definitely real. Yeah, yeah it's so, COVID's so, fault. Uh, there's, there's in, in different fields, and it's difficult to actually to gauge how much, uh, how big of an issue this is in terms of lack of replication. But you can imagine if there's a thousand studies that come out in a year, and and they, they all draw different conclusions, building on previous evidence, and only let's say a small percentage of those, let's just say fifty percent. Or north, south of fifty percent are replicated. You have fifty percent of those studies, five hundred studies that are never replicated. That if someone just read the results and just assumed that they were correct, rather than than applying the more mental rigor to say, well, have they have they been replicated once, twice, three times, four times, and then you find out that it's possible that trademark studies like the Wonder Woman study that tells you to stand up and spread your legs and put your hands on your hips. It, it, it's it's never replicated. In fact, eleven people tried to do it, and so that's a problem. That's a problem right there of of you know not understanding sort of the scientific process and needing to not not just it doesn't matter if it came out in a good journal. It doesn't matter if it was peer reviewed. Doesn't matter um, if if all the people had PhDs from the from the best universities and studied under the best people, they can still get it wrong, right? So you, you got to be aware of that. You definitely have yeah. to be aware of that. Right. Um, and- I was just going to say, and communication matters too. A lot of yeah. times these studies will come out and there will be evidence of something, right? But the study may not prove, it may, it may show correlation, but it may not prove causation. Absolutely. Yet when you read about it in the newspaper, right, it's it it's set in stone, right? It's We figured this thing out. It's totally done. Um, you know, one of the best examples of correlation and causation, uh, one that I hear a lot is... Um, uh, Paul, maybe jump in if I don't get this 100% correct, but it's during the summer, violent crime goes up. Also during the summer, ice cream consumption goes up. Therefore, <laughs> ice cream consumption causes violent crime, right? So that's that's confusing correlation and causation there. Yes, yes. Um, and, but that wouldn't necessarily stop a journalist or someone from reporting, right? Look, oh, right. ice cream consumption causes violent crime. Well, it's not really, right? So the study could say, you know, we found a correlation, but we didn't find a causation here. So, right. but, you know, well, further research is necessary. Right. Um, and, right. And I actually believe that, that violent crime is the reason ice cream sales go up. So, <laughs> oh, you know, is that it? Yeah, yeah that that's actually seems much more plausible to me. Right. Um, I, you know, I can get pretty violent if the guy in front of me takes the last of the mint chocolate chip ice cream. So. Yeah, you don't need that. You don't need <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> No, that, that, that's exactly right. And, and I think part of the challenge is that these studies play on people's beliefs. So again, we talked about the beginning of the podcast, the difference between a belief and a scientific truth. And people believe, uh, now the ice cream and violence, that's, that's a bit of an extreme, right? 
but there's there's ones where the the scope seems uh, much more plausible. You're able to to draw that that connection a lot more uh, easily. And therefore, when someone tells you, well, you know, look at this study, and, and clearly we're, we're able to see that the two measures work in, in, in tandem, you still need to be asking that question, is it causation or correlation? Because it, it's, it's depending on how the study was performed, uh, has it, again, has it been replicated? Are there other types of considerations or factors that would actually reduce that correlation? Um, those are the types of questions you should be asking before you just, you know, read one of those and, and think, well, that, that's it. You know, I always I always knew that uh, violent people bought ice cream and mint chocolate chips. So, <laughs> right. you know, that, that explains the sales. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. And I think a good thing there to do is to just kind of just step back and ask yourself, you know, what other variables could be at play here? You know, right. what, what uh, the idea of confounding variables, right? What are the variables are coming in that we're not thinking about or we're not controlling for that could be influencing this? Yes. And this is one of the problems that we have. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of our reasoning, it's done through this process called induction. And that's where we take an experience that we have, some uh, something that happens to us, something that we hear, we see. And then we, we take that information and we use it to predict an uncertain future. Um, you know, for example, um, I see a pencil roll off of a table and hit the floor. So I can take that experience and through induction, I can reason that if I hit this salt shaker hard enough, it will fall off the table and hit the floor. Okay. Uh, even though I, it's a future event, right? The salt shaker is still on the table. I'm still using induction from that past experience of seeing the pencil to predict that if that the salt shaker will do the same thing. The problem comes in is that you can have errors in induction where there are other factors that you're not taking into account, right? So perhaps the pencil is round, so it rolls, whereas the salt shaker is sitting on its flat side or it's on its flat bottom, so it's more stable. So therefore, you know, my prediction that it's going to roll off the table and hit the floor would be incorrect. Uh, so you, you kind of always have to be able to incorporate into the situation, right? Those variables that you're not accounting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, you know, think of it like this, right? This is probably a kind of absurd one, but I think it, it, it illustrates the point well, is that we're, you know, I think we're all like 99.999, you know, infinity, 9% positive, the sun's going to rise tomorrow, you know, based on the fact that the sun has risen every morning that we've been alive. But, you know, an asteroid that we are unaware of, right, could hit the earth tonight, right? And the sun's not going to rise tomorrow, right? There's always that confounding variable there. So you can't say with 100% certainty that something that you have not yet observed is true yes right and so that that's kind of the error of induction right is that you're making Mm -hmm. an assumption on something based off of something else that you've observed so if there's a study that says um i'm just going to just take this one out there you know let's get the covid folks a little upset here okay this study (laughs) that says you know masks help prevent the spread of covid or, or let's say the claim is that masks help prevent the spread of covid the spread of covid a study gets referenced, you go and you check out the study and you realize, well, this was a study that was done in the 1960s in a hospital environment, looking at the flu, not COVID, um, looking at the, the infection rate in doctors and nurses who were wearing, you know, hospital grade protective equipment. Uh, 
Mm. Okay, you know, you can't necessarily take that study and say, okay, well, it applies to people wearing a mask in a grocery store. You know, wearing one of these cloth masks that come from, you know, China or wherever in a grocery store. Right. Um, you know, just walking around doing their normal shopping. Okay. Because they're not the same. And, and right. that's kind of, that's the error. That's the danger you run into when you try to use one study to explain a future event um, that is not quite congruent, right? That you're comparing right. apples to oranges. Um, yet we... We will do that a lot. Again, confirmation bias comes in. You know, if you if you're if you want to believe that masks are are safer for you, right? Then you will latch onto that study possibly and mm -hmm. say, "Look, look, this study showed that you know it helps protect doctors and hospitals from the flu. So, right. of course, it's gonna you know masks will help protect you from COVID in the grocery store. But that's that's just not true. It, right. it may be true, right? But you don't have any evidence of it. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's that's just so relevant given our highly saturated data environments that we're in today where most people are not going to read that headline, get into the article, and then read through to the study, and then finally question that last aspect of, well, how how congruent is the study with the, with the environments that they're trying to adapt it to, that the article's article claims to adapt it to right um and but that's that's difficult in today's environment because your all of your information systems that are coming in are are fire hoses they're just spitting out information nonstop. and depending on what your bias is towards certain types of information you latch onto it it confirms a bias that you have and it becomes difficult to dislodge and you also have the other issue of Okay, you have a fire hydrant that's tailored to what your bias already is because it wants to serve you stuff that makes you happy. It doesn't give you the counter arguments. So, and, and a lot of people, there's a cost to looking into the counter arguments. So depending on what the information is, uh, are you going to spend the time to go out there and try and find the counter arguments and the, and the, the other side's of the discussion to make a more informed discussion uh, decision. And, and what is the impact to you? And I, I know we, we've talked a lot about that, that you only have so many hours in a day, so many minutes. And, and, and as you, as you age, your energy levels are going to fluctuate down. Uh, rarely are they, they're going to go the opposite direction. So you have to decide how you're going to use your limited energy to study what matters to you. So the idea that every you're going to be an expert and, and, and highly fluent in terms of information and studies on all this topic is just it's just not feasible. So you're going to have to decide what's relevant to you. What what science are you going to spend time to understand because it has a an impact to you, but perhaps it's just a strong desire versus the stuff that you're going to perhaps just accept um, and assume as a norm that you're going to follow. The mask could be. And in, in that realm, it depends on your own belief system. You may say, listen, I don't know if masks are good or bad for me. I don't know if this cloth thing. And, and let's be fair. When we're talking about masks, I think of an N95 mask. I remember in, in March or February, I was, I was talking to a friend. I had an N95 mask. That's what I was taking to the grocery store when, when COVID was just coming out. Because I said, I, I don't know. Now I, I have this cloth thing that I wear outside. I do it mostly because I'm worried about other people not feeling comfortable around me. Now. Is it possible that it's actually preventing the spread of COVID? I don't know. I don't care. I'm just doing it. It's a more of a social norm at this point. 
Um, it's the, the cost of trying to figure all that out and making a stand is not worth it to me when I'm out and about. Uh, on the other hand, there's probably other topics that I would, I would probably make a stand in nuclear energy when it comes to finding the climate would be one of them. And, and, you know, I know that that's not really what we're going to get into today. We'll get into another discussion at some point, but it, it, it just, it brings to the point you're looking at good science, you look at bad science, you're looking at studying it, how much time you're going to spend into it. You've looked at these different ways of studying it. Realize that you've got limited energy. Don't feel the need to try and understand everything. And also realize that you're going to have a lot of information coming down the fire hose to you. Realize at some point you may want to cut it off. Right. This is, uh, this is where having the courage to say, you know what, I don't know is, is a benefit, right? You can, yes. like, like you said with the masks, right? I don't, maybe they help, maybe they don't help. You know, I wear one, like you said, uh, you know, just to get along with people, basically. Um, it, it, you know, it, and it, it, it doesn't seem to be like such a terrible thing. I mean, okay. Liberties and all that stuff aside, I mean, you know, the, the, <laughs> yes. the physical effort to put one on, right. It's, it's yeah. not such a terrible thing. So it's like, yep. is it really worth fighting about now? If somebody's going to talk to me about whether I believe the government should be telling me to wear a mask and, you know, would get into the liberties discussion, right? I have yes. a very different opinion, but the, the actual yes. act of putting the mask on to keep the, the lady next to you in the, at the grocery store from giving you dirty looks and yelling at you and everything, right? You know, I, I, I'll sell out and do it for that. Well, um, we will have, we will definitely have another podcast specific to liberty. I can promise <laughs> right. you that. I can promise you that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, it, so uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think uh, we we're talking about that. Yeah. There, there's a cost associated with, right, with right. synthesizing all this information. So, yeah, sorry, Scott, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah, I remember now. So that I think we mentioned on one of the other podcasts, right? This is where you kind of have to learn to pick and choose your authority. Yep. It, 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 credibility is a big thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it seems to me like I heard recently, like in 2016 or something, the CDC – put out a paper on how to respond to a pandemic. Uh, maybe somebody, one of the listeners out there might have, have better information on this, but it seemed to me like it was like 2016 or something like that. But one of the things they said is like, it was really incumbent upon government to be truthful with the people about what was going on. Because if the people started to suspect that the government was lying, right, then the government's going to lose all credibility. Right. And we, we, we are seeing that now uh, yes. is that the, the government is just it, – it, it's credibility. It's just pretty much shot thanks to COVID. Right. And it all began with uh, Fauci and folks telling us not to wear masks in the beginning yeah. and, then, and then backtracking. Uh, so, you know, like we said before, right, just because someone lies 10 times doesn't mean they're lying the 11th time. But, right. you know, still we're, we're humans, right? We take those – like I said with induction, right? We take those past experiences and we use them to help us try to predict the future. So if someone did lie to you 10 times, right, I mean, it's, you're probably safe in assuming <laughs> all other things being equal without any other evidence that they're right. lying to you the 11th time. Well, the thing have- is – yeah. So this is, you know, you just, you, you have to engage in probabilistic thinking and Bayesian yeah. updating here, right? Uh, you know, it's not, not 100% that they're lying, but maybe 90% that they're lying to me. But, you know, I also have to be willing to change my mind if I see evidence that says that they're telling the truth this time. I have to right. be willing to do that. 
And that's right. that's kind of how you navigate this world. If you do kind of if you do come to the conclusion like that paying attention to whatever particular issue is worth your time. Well, so so let me I want to pivot a little bit and, and kind of get into that a little bit more because you know, here we talked about good science, bad science, and we talked about different heuristics we can look at. And I know there's more, uh, and, and we were, you know, some of this information is referencing a great article that came from Farm Street. We'll include it in the, in the show notes. But, uh, so there's, there's other ways in which you can, you can kind of identify kind of what I, I guess I would call good science. But there's a, there's an issue here, and we, we talked a little bit about before about incentives, where some topics, so let's just say uh, an understanding uh, at the atomic level about atoms and, and different states of quarks. And I, I'm just using language. I don't even understand what it means. I, I'm really not an expert at that level. But, but you, you could imagine a scientific uh, observation comes out that is just absolutely phenomenal for a specific field that the common person, the layman, just does not understand its significance. It's not an area where people are going to get a lot of debate, a lot of information, and you're not going to get a lot of energy focused on it. On the other hand, you could have a, an observation that has to do with a topic that is very polarizing, it's very political, that can get a lot of scrutiny, a lot of you know, uh, press, because it aligns to a bias, right? It aligns to a political ideology of some kind. And so how, how do you think we parse out that and, you know, we talked before about well, you have to decide what you're going to focus on. But when we're hearing information being shared through these authority figures and, you know, if they're coming through the government or they could be coming through public institutions, do we do we have a, a way of, of distinguishing between the ones that have a, a high impact that, that would align to a political bias and the ones that are more neutral? Yeah, that's a good question. Um I don't know if there's really like a, any sort of like a bright, bright excuse me, bright line rule or, or framework to really follow. Um, this is one of those areas where I've always just kind of gone based off of my gut. Uh, yeah. You know, if I, if I hear something and it sounds like it's something that is impactful for me to me, or, uh, you know, something that just may be interesting, you know, I'll, I'll end up paying more attention to it. Uh, whereas something you know, that, you know, maybe it doesn't really affect me that much. It may not be something that I spend a lot of time with. Um, yeah. Trying to think of, I was reading an article about uh, the dreamers in DACA, um, mm -hmm. that issue that came up a couple of years ago. And I, I just remember thinking like, I, I really didn't pay a ton of attention to it because it really didn't impact me right. um, to, to any great extent. And I don't feel like I'm any worse off today for that. Hmm, yeah. Um, you know, and then when I worked for the government, uh, you know, I, I, I was with the government through a couple of shutdowns. So I was very interested in the budgeting process and all of how all the continuing resolutions worked and everything at the time, because it was something that directly impacted me, mm -hmm. namely whether I got a free vacation or not. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Bahamas, here we come. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, and this probably varies per person, right? You know, yeah. people may have a more, it, it may not be like an, an actual, like standardized documented process, but they may think, you know, well, does this impact me? Does it impact my kids, my family, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, 
and, and they just kind of weigh everything out. Um, but for me, I don't, it just seems like I've always just kind of gone with my gut on these things. How about you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, and I'll just bring this out and make it very brass tacks or just very real if I can. Studies that are studying the climate right now that are, that are going to go one direction or the other are going to receive, if depending on what they say, they're going to receive a lot more information. And it's it seems clear to me that there is a political mechanism and there's a political incentive to use that which goes back to our earlier discussion about incentives it makes it difficult at least the red flags start to to raise in my head uh not because i i don't i want to look at the finding as it is right uh but if i think back to the signals that i'm seeing from those different proxies i'm using so the peer-reviewed study right we start talking about well if, if someone's someone's saying well you know, here's all the, the information we understand in this particular study about the climate. It's, it's even worse than we imagine. Here's the reasons why. And the five people that are studying it are also incented to say, yeah, it is because they're, all the grant money is coming in. And, and, and actually, if, if they found out that this theory was inaccurate, their grant money could dry up. Then the journal that is publishing this t- study has group of uh, people on the board that are reviewing it that also have a strong belief that this is true, which goes into their entire worldview. You start to see where there can be cracks in this this idea of the the scientific method, which is just going to really focus on pure science. And a lot of it does come down to the political bias, less about the the overall harm or benefit that's going to serve people. Now you. You, there's a good argument to be made that the political bias is going to be uh, aligned strongly in the direction of the harm and that you don't want to – the politicians would over time be looking for solutions that would bring down harm to the citizens to a manageable level. So, uh, you know, you have to it, – it's difficult, right? There, as you said, there's no bright line. I think we can ask questions. And we can be, we can have an extra level of skepticism when it comes to studies that have information that supports one political bias over the other. That doesn't mean that they are inaccurate. Doesn't mean it's bad science or pseudoscience. And, and that's the other side. That's the flip side is when you become, and, and I do think there's a truth and I've, I've observed it with people that are considered what you can call them anti-science that no matter what information is presented to them, if it's if it's aligned to a political bias, then they just refuse to believe it, and that is a problem. And there, there's a cost or a tax, if you will, on having a low fluency scientific uh, education across your population. If everyone was sort of in agreement on um, a set of you know of thinking, right? Like sort of what we're talking about here, not not to the degree that which you can agree to those proxies. But that science is is a is a process that you follow, that you find information and models. Then you could have deeper discussions about the information. You also couldn't have the wool pulled over your eyes as easily by people that are trying to with the with the studies. So I, I'm with you. There is no easy answer. It's frustrating. Uh, you got to be aware of it. It also you got to be you got to hold yourself accountable and realize just because you don't like what's being said and maybe goes against maybe your own political beliefs doesn't mean that you can ignore it. 
because uh, that that's being uh, that's being disingenuous. Right. I think it, you know maybe it's about time to start embracing your individuality um, and understanding that you don't have to you, you you don't have to completely align with everything on Team Red or Team Blue or you know Team yes. you know, whatever. Um, you, you can you know it's okay to stand apart a little bit and yeah. and 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 by taking this approach where you kind of you separate the source from the idea right you can use the source to kind of inform your opinion of the idea but this what you think of the source is not the definitive conclusion as to the merits of the idea and when you do that then you can kind of accept that you know hey you know maybe you know, Donald Trump's not a great guy, but, you know, maybe, you know, getting along with North Korea might be a good thing. So, you know, maybe I can support him on this one thing, even though I don't like a lot of the other stuff he does. Right. And, Dennis Rodman said it. And, you know, I don't know. Right. He made that great movie with Van Damme. So I'm done. I'm, I'm in agreement. Right, yeah. So, well, you know, Dennis Rodman said it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that is science right there. Right. If, it, if Dennis Rodman said it, I mean, that's. That's peer reviewed, high level journal. I mean, uh, replication, everything. All right. He experimented on his hair. That was definitely peer reviewed. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So, it, it, you know, this is just, you know, one of the areas where, you know, knowledge is power. And, you know, and then I think knowledge is, it's, it, it's kind of the first step to like bringing the liberty back into your life, right? When mm-hmm. you can think for yourself and you're afraid, you're not afraid to kind of step away from the crowd and form your own opinions and say, you know what? I, I, I usually agree with you guys over here on team blue or team red, but on this other thing, I kind of agree with the other side a little bit more. Um, that's, that's your first step to getting your liberty back and to Absolutely. thinking for yourself. Yeah. And you know, uh, what you just said was, uh, very much aligned with some of the challenges that I identified when I was going through some of the papers or the articles that we shared to kind of prepare for this. And some of them, and I'm just going to read them out loud and kind of interested in your thoughts here. One of them was that we have extreme access to information. So again, this idea that we're, we're continuously receiving data, the, the fire hose effect, and a lot of it can be noise. A lot of it can just be data pollution. It doesn't matter because it's hitting you at such a high frequency. Uh, a lot of times you, you have a difficult time sourcing through it. So we have access to information. Another one that is is that creates challenges, again, the challenge here being seeing good science for what it is versus bad science is the pressure to conform to accepted ideas. When you're and, – and that's exactly, Scott, what you just mentioned. It's okay for you to step back and say, I disagree based on the information that I have. It's difficult for people to do that. And there's a consistency issue, again, talking about the Caldini principle, people wanting to be consistent and seen as consistent. But if you're unable to step back and agree that maybe I was wrong based on the information and just tell yourself, listen, I have a model. I'm not married to this, but my model and understanding of how something works is why I believe that. And if I have more information, I update that model and I can find out if it's inaccurate. But I think that that creates a problem. I think something that I, I've observed is this channel halo effect, as I'll call it. So the halo effect is the idea that if uh, – and, and, and the first time I was reading about it was in Krugman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talked about grading people's paper. If their first essay was good, he would, he would grade their second essay as better because uh, he would kind of attribute sort of – he raised the status of them. So the halo effect is the idea that you kind of put them on a pedestal 
based on one good act and you discount uh, some of their maybe less admirable performances. And the opposite of that is what's called the horn effect, uh, where no matter what they do, you're always putting them on, on the bottom level. And I think people tend to look at certain channels and say, well, I got a really good article from them this one time. And so let's say you watch TED Talks and you go, hey, I watched this great TED Talk and everything I'm seeing on TED sounds very scientific, very, uh, very well reasoned. And you start believing everything you see through TED, not realizing, well, the first person that came on there was someone who had done amazing research. And the next 10 people that you saw after there were just coming up with ideas that were very compelling. And so, but you, you give, because they all came on through the TED Talk or through a paper that you enjoy, a journal perhaps, you give them all the same type of uh, status. Uh, and then the last one that kind of came up as a challenge is this idea of hacks. And I think this is very common with, I would say, a younger generation. But everyone wants to know the hacks. Everyone wants to know the secret. And so we have this built-in cognition that's looking for we have curiosity. We want to find out what's new about the world. So when people come out with these new studies, they, 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 they pique our interest, particularly if they align to our belief system. And what, what we've seen in the history of science is that science is actually very slow. It's very rare that you have breakthrough studies that truly upend uh, what we already know about the world. And when they do, they take years, maybe decades, to really come to fruition and be raw, strong science. But because humans and the masses have such a strong proclivity to, to be curious and to want to find that new information, we can latch on to this new data without really trying to critically think about it. So again, I, I kind of think those are a couple of challenges that, you know, for our current environment, I'm not sure they're brand new, but uh, they, they do make a challenge to us really trying to be critical when we're looking at scientific data. Yeah, and I am, you know, while you're talking, I conducted a study and found the uh, the newest secret to losing weight and gaining muscle uh, by just standing in front of your computer. So send me 1995, and I will uh, give you this scientifically proven. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> method here. So, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. Like when we hear something like that with the power pose, right? It's it's something easy you can do, right? Stand up and do this power pose for two minutes every morning or whatever it was, right? It's going to change your life forever. Uh, you know, we have like we love to hear that and we'll latch on to it, right? We won't wait to see what all the other science is. Um, so like and and again right the, the media plays a role in this you know once this study comes out it's going to get hyped up in the media because mm -hmm. the media wants attention right so you know what sounds better you know cnn running a story on like you know power pose shows that you know you'll get the job of your dreams or whatever or yeah you know this study said like this doing this power pose may work it may not work we're not sure yeah. but you can right. try it if you want you know so uh they and that goes back to the communication thing we were talking about too right is how how are the results of these studies getting communicated out um so you just kind of have to keep it in mind right it, like you said science is slow um, mm -hmm. and it's a back and forth, you know, it's, we didn't think the earth was the center of the universe on Monday. And then on Tuesday, right. We knew it wasn't, it took a long time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so, and that, that's one of the things that I see about COVID that it, it just kind of makes me shake my head is, you know, COVID hasn't been around that long. Right. So how, why are we putting such credence in these studies that are being done? 
that aren't being replicated, right? Other people aren't coming, you know, competing theories aren't being researched and looked at, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, who knows what methods they're using, anything, right? you know, so it's just too early in the game. And, yeah. You know, and this is one of the big problems, one of the big errors we made with COVID. Um, we've talked before about the illusion of control, right? So we'll bring it up here, right? We, instead of sitting back and kind of waiting for data to come in and, you know, being prepared, but not, not acting, but being prepared. And then when we have the right data, right, then we can act. We, we acted way too early based off of information that we hadn't even really verified Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, or, you know, partial data sets, you know, partial bits of information without stopping to really think about it. And, and like you said, you know, science is a process. So, Mm -hmm. I do my experiment, right? You replicate it and you say, yes, I did replicate it. No, I didn't replicate it. Someone else looks at my study and says, well, you know, that's a good theory, but we think you have a problem here. So we're going to tweak the theory a little bit. We're going to change it. Somebody else comes along and says, no, you're completely wrong. Here's our evidence to show you wrong. Um, so it, it, it's a constant back and forth, right? It's not something right. that, that is just a one and done thing. Um, one one thing I ran across that I thought was really cool is I kind of was one of those people that thought the origin of the universe as being the big bang was basically scientific, you know, use quotes here, consensus. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just kind of the accepted thing. And I, I went out and looked at it and it's, that's, that's actually not true. There's like eight competing theories uh, out there Mm. about the origin of the universe, seven or eight competing theories. Uh, you know, so this idea of scientific consensus, you know, it gets us into a lot of trouble too, because it, it puts us in a position where we think that there is just this one theory and we just accept it when, uh, you know, the reality is, is that there's disagreements all over the place in science. Right. And and we need to keep that in mind. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And that, that is where I, I will continue to be very vocal about, freedom of expression and the power and the need for it. Because if you don't allow people through various means, it can be through actually canceling expression or just pressure not to share ideas, you lose out on understanding. And, and that's, that is a, a real cost to, to everybody, not just the scientific community or the people that want to express those ideas, but society at large for understanding more about the the topic that you're studying, so now that that's that's just critical. Um, so Scott, we're we're about just over an hour, and we we've covered a lot of ground here. You know, if I'm thinking about the audience and what what questions they would have about good and bad science, what what do you think we haven't covered that we should talk about to wrap this up? I think we pretty much hit on everything. It, just remember, like there's 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 a lot of other things that people can look at uh, to try to determine if something is good or bad science. Uh, things like we, we alluded to it, but we didn't really talk about it much was like sample size. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, with the power pose study, it was like 40, I think 45 people, 46 people was the sample size. And 
that's just pretty small. Again, that leads to errors of induction. If you're taking something that you observe in a group of 45 people and trying to draw a conclusion to a population of, you know, 330 million people in the U.S., uh, you, you run into problems. And again, is yep. how representative of the population is your sample? So if you're hanging out in front of, you know, you know, Youth Democrats of America meeting and asking people as they come out if they support Biden or Trump, you're going to get 100 percent or supporting Biden. Well, of course, because, you know, your <laughs> yeah. your sample size isn't reflective of the larger population. So, right. Uh, you know, that's another question to answer. So, uh, you know, it's it's always a good idea to kind of learn. Learn where a lot of these errors can come up, and learn areas where you know, you know, less than ethical people can uh, sort of set their set their research up to come out in a particular direction. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, there's, uh, and we'll we'll link to the article from Farnham Street because it had it had a series of uh, heuristics to to look at. I think they're good, I, you know, and I'm always going to put the skeptical hat on that. You know, don't don't stop learning. Don't look at those those criteria and think to yourself, "Well, I'm done." Continue to investigate. Find find out those those corners, those edges where you need to be a skeptical of even those heuristics. Uh, and you know, the the, the example I'm, I'm going to re- repeat is the idea of sort of channel uh, channel halo effect, where you know everything you read in, in Scientific American, you take it face value that it's it's applied all the scientific rigor and that they they've never had to retract any information that the study can't be inaccurate and that's just simply not the case that's that's unscientific to think that way in fact so you got to complete uh, continue to remain skeptical also realize that when mistakes are made they can be made with good faith people and and that's part of the process so you know that goes back to this idea of as we're learning as we're growing, uh, people that act in good faith and make mistakes need to be uh, need to be treated with extreme charity because they really are doing the very best that they can. And coming out and disliking people that are that are applying the scientific method to the best of their ability uh, and make mistakes uh, just because you you don't like the outcome or that you you can now kind of point at them and say, "Ha ha! I always knew it." That that is uh, that is really a poor way to act because uh, they're doing the very best they can. So. Well, Scott, I, I think this was a fantastic, uh, fantastic discussion. We covered a lot of information. And uh, anybody who's listening, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you're doing to, to find good science, filter out the bad science, how you're sharing information with people. And uh, any questions or thoughts that you have, please let us know. And until, uh, until next time, uh, we'll chat with you soon. Have a good one.